goal of writing one of these local assemblies that we've been hearing about. And one of the issues he's addressing is who gets the credit? Who's the best? Envy, strength. And Paul says that they were acting carnally, thinking like the world. And so you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So that neither is he that planted anything, neither is he that water it, but God that gives the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Verse 9, for we are laborers together. We are laborers together with God. We are God's husbandry. We are God's building. And so just for the next few minutes I want to continue on with Nehemiah. This morning we saw how his burdened heart for the struggling people back in Jerusalem and how he was available to the Lord to lead. Tremendous work of rebuilding. Rebuilding the walls. But as much as Nehemiah was a leader and a leader was necessary, a leader needs people to get on board and to pursue the same vision. We are laborers together, said Paul. Paul didn't say, I am the one that's doing it all, or it's my way or the highway. They were working together. That's what leaders do, together. They value togetherness. And Nehemiah was not only a leader, but he, he saw the need for people to share the same vision. That's necessary in secular life, political life, corporate life, but also in assembly life. Life in God's enterprise. Labors together with God. So we're going to flip back now to Nehemiah and read chapter 2 of Nehemiah. And go back to the Old Testament for a few verses here. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1. It came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. This is, Nehemiah, this is Nehemiah, and he's giving it to the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, because only happy people are in the king's presence. It was such an honor to be in the king's presence, snowing with a glum face, sad countenance. The peril of their lives. But King Artaxerxes understood that there's something wrong with Nehemiah today, and so Nehemiah was very afraid. Verse 3 and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. 
Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lie in waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, What's on your heart, Nehemiah? What's, are you thinking about something? What dost thou make request? So, right there on the spot, we mentioned this. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen was also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? And it seems that Nehemiah, as, a, as any leader would do, had given it a lot of thought before this occasion. On his knees, prayer, thinking what would be required if the Lord did commission me to go to Jerusalem. What are the things that I need? What is the time frame? And so he was ready when the king answered, asked the question, and he praised to God, and he said, if it please the king, and if thy servant had found favor, that thou would send me unto Judah. And the king said unto me, how long? So there's the time factor. When will thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. And so Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem. We're not going to go into those details. He spent three nights inspecting the conditions, assessing the needs. He did that privately, riding on a donkey. And then you get to verse 16. And the rulers in Jerusalem knew not whether I went or what I did. See, he was doing a, an environmental assessment. Neither had I yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Verse 17, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates are all preferred with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good unto me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. And when, when Samballot the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I in heaven and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but give no portion or right nor memorial to Nehemiah came to a people who were discouraged, and even though Ezra had been preaching the word of God to them and trying to lift them up, they were a people requiring just the message, the enthusiasm, the vision of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah's confidence in the Lord, how it lifted their hearts. Before Nehemiah's arrival, things looked dark, things looked bleak. In Nehemiah's own words in chapter 1, he says, The remnant that are left in the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. I think we've all experienced times in our life. We were hearing about the wilderness and the dark times. 
When the power has gone out in her life, the lights have gone out, the music died, the hot water became cold, and there's an eerie silence that catches our ears. Minutes pass. I'm talking about a physical power failure. Storm passes through. Dorian just went through Prince Edward Island and left us without power, some for many days. And there was a something strange about that circumstance. And we could hear every sound in the house when all went so silent and it was so dark. It can also happen to us spiritually. Minutes pass, it seems so long. We try candles, we try powerful little flashlights, but really nothing can compensate for the loss of power. And maybe you feel that the lights have gone out in your life. You may feel engulfed in darkness. Our next door neighbor, they were hooked up to our house by one extension cord for over a week. And he has an accounting office in his, in his house and everything. And he just hit one cord to our house. And his wife came over the other day when the power didn't get back on. And she said, you know what? This is the last time we'll ever be taught in this. We're going to get auxiliary power. We're going to get a generator. And sometimes as the Lord's people, we feel the need for auxiliary power. And that's exactly what Nehemiah was when he came to them. And he had this promise from God and, and he came with a, a vibrancy and we're going to do it. I've done my assessments. It can be done. And God is on our side. So in a physical sense, you hear the generator starting up outside. Some of the lights come on. few beeps. Some of the appliances are functioning. Auxiliary power is greatly appreciated, but it's still only temporary. Nehemiah's contribution was only temporary until they got the real power in their own hearts that they needed. But all they needed, Nehemiah. Nehemiah, the leader, knew the lights had gone out in Jerusalem. People's hearts were heavy. People's hearts were darkened. Their thoughts about the future were gloomy, dismal. The nation had failed so many times. The enemies had done such a number in them. And just when they thought they'd turned the corner, they had another roadblock or faced another setback. And their internal resources were at a very low end. Emotionally, spiritually, impotence, weakness, just seemed to mark that. They felt so vulnerable, so fragile. Mocked and intimidated by Sam Ballard and Tobiah. And it was right into this mess that Nehemiah stepped. Oh, thank God for leaders like Nehemiah. He was an unheard of man. He had never been here, as we said this morning. He was, he was born in a distant land. He was never before a part of their lives. There could have been skepticism, cynicism. Maybe even resentment. Having a palace cultured bureaucrat descending on our city with his little plan. What does he know? And they could have mocked him. He's never lived here. He's never experienced our pain. He's never been in, experienced our despair. He's probably on a big fat palace salary with a daily allowance. On his trip here, look at his clothes. 
How can he relate to us? But these people, they just needed Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, raised up of God, worked with those people. They said, he's with us. That's in their sense. He wasn't up here and the people down here. They got this sense. You read the, the 12 chapters. There's a real sense of we're together in this. Paul said, we are laborers together. Little did these people know how many tears that Nehemiah had shed for them before they ever knew who he was. Little did they appreciate the yearnings and the passion of his heart. Little did they know the courage that it took for Nehemiah to stand before the monarch Artaxerxes. But his sympathetic, his compassionate heart, that's what leaders need. A sympathetic, compassionate heart, sincerity, integrity, his desire to see God honored and then restored, the city restored physically and emotionally and spiritually restored in the hearts of the people. I think it soon became obvious in his communications with them. This man is for us. They needed the auxiliary power. They needed the Nehemiah to come along. This man will help light our path. And it's not long before Nehemiah has him at work. All on board in the plan. Is anyone seeing light from my light? There's probably someone in a lot of darkness right now. Maybe your friend. Oh, they're here. They're dressed up nice and everything. But they just are going through really a dark time. Are they getting any light from you? Are you their temporary auxiliary power? Are you sort of lifting them up? Strengthening them? Do I drain people spiritually? Or are they lifted up after they talk to me? I heard of a gathering recently where the people were invited, and one of the rules were, no, this weekend is to talk about rice from their home assemblies. No off hours, no talking about problems and issues in your assembly. You know what they were trying to get at? Let's build each other up. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. Well, there were a lot of issues. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But Nehemiah came and they needed Nehemiah's energy and power. They were totally depleted on their own. So they required auxiliary power. How did Nehemiah go about rekindling the flame of possibilities? He couldn't accomplish what needed to be done if the people weren't mobilized, if they weren't motivated, if they weren't positive, if they weren't excited, if they weren't energized. If they weren't on side, Nehemiah could not accomplish single-handedly what needed to be done. And nor can any leader in a workplace or in a local assembly. You need the people. Nehemiah was dependent on God and God's people. We are laborers together. Paul appreciated this. 
So wherever you are in life, the mark of an effective leader is one who makes progress with people on side. You must always pay attention to the people factor. Elders, preachers, teachers, Sunday school teachers, missionaries, worksite Christian managers, all of us, wherever we're leading, we cannot ignore the people factor. You cannot run roughshod over people, over Christians, over God's people. You can bullet those ahead as a leader and plow them under in the process, but you will live to profoundly regret that. James 3 says, but we need wisdom from above. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere, one rendering has it, the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So a real leader knows how to respect and work with people even when opinions are divergent and attitudes are entrenched. In business it may be called organizational alignment. When the leader works hard to get everyone going in the same direction. Why do you think Nehemiah prayed so much? Because he knew that he needed these people to share in this vision. And he could not bring about single-handedly. He needed the Lord to do the work in their hearts. But just uh, if you're here for, um, and you're moving up the ladder in the corporate world, if you're promoted to supervisor, and, and you don't care about having all your staff going in the same direction, you won't have a career very long. As a supervisor, you're the leader. You must figure out how to work with people, what it is they need. Things ran a little bit. The fire in their hearts had died a long time ago. It seemed like just cold charcoal. That's all that remained. But a good leader knew how to stir in the ashes. By a little spark. There will always be a spark of divine life, no matter how a Christian has wandered. A true, genuine child of God, there will always be that spark to find. Nehemiah elevated their thinking. He assured them that this could be done. Why? Because the Lord is great and terrible or awesome. That's why Nehemiah can speak with such confidence. Nehemiah 4 verse 14, because the Lord is great and awesome. When the people were struggling with threats from enemies and naysayers, he said, no, listen, you see what needs to be done, but our Lord is great and awesome. If you're ever going to move forward in life, We have to be adept at respecting people. Every time I read the 13th chapters of this little book, I just admire Nehemiah's people skills and how he sensitively managed them. What we consider an irrelevant list of names and families, if you've been reading through Nehemiah lately, 
There are, there are a number of chapters and a long list of names. They don't mean much to us today. But what does it what did it mean to the people? What did it mean to Nehemiah? These are the people that were involved. These are the people that I worked with. That's what it meant to Nehemiah. But what about the people? Oh, my little eensy-weensy contribution. My family's contribution. It was not for naught. Oh, there's a list of names, the credits go up. Oh, I'm there. We're laborers together. What do you think it meant to the believers when in Romans 16, when Paul, they get that letter from Paul? And oh, just, yes, Phoebe's name is mentioned, but there's 28 other believers mentioned. How beautiful was that? That Paul, such a leader, would take time to mention individual people. The people factor is important. Nehemiah 3, there are 15 next to, next to, next to, next to, as the people engaged in the work as they're listed. We need to be aware of our sinful flesh. Opportunities to promote ourselves can happen in the assembly, can happen in the workplace. We all did it, but it was really my, um, uh, I wanted to know, it's my idea. We all did it, but it was mine. Or a, might, another, a more subtle uh, self-attempted self-promotion might be. You know what? Oh, it was difficult. I didn't think they would all see it my way. But after a little while, I brought them around to see it my way. And the assembly was preserved. Yeah. Can't you see it all written over it? Self-promotion. There are construction projects in Canada. I don't know whether it's in the United States and around the world, but they're called public-private partnerships. Three P's. Beware of these three P's. Personal promotion clubs. Pride is like a monster. And when you see it, even if you were influential in that group and you saw them come around and God worked in their hearts or in a workplace, beware of the three P, the personal promotion club. Just say, oh God, that was a three P. That thought was pride. I hate pride, Lord. You hate pride. I confess my sin of pride. Just do the work. Respect the people. How would you feel if the leader of your group project said to the professor when it was time to present it, well, prof, um, well, we all work together, but if, well, if it wasn't for me, we wouldn't have gotten it done. Isn't that smack of something? Togetherness, but no, really it's about me. But sometimes it does happen. It can happen with the chief cook in the kitchen at conference time. It can happen to the Sunday school superintendent. It can happen with elders, preachers, missionaries. It goes something like this. Well, we all uh, work hard. I had to crack the whip a few times. Some disagreed with the direction I was taking the project, but in the end, they all agreed with me and 
You got it done. Oh, high five, everything. See a little bit of self-promotion there? That's not a real leader. That's one who wants, that's a wannabe leader. A wannabe leader. So here they are, they're working on the walls. Chapter 5, we see Nehemiah transparently, candidly listening to their complaints. And they had some serious complaints. He said, this is important. I'm not supposed to go run roughshod, ignore their concerns or complaints. I need to hear them out. It's not just a one-way conversation. I'm going to listen to what they say. And hear what are the genuine concerns that these people have. And he listened with sincerity and openness. That's important. He swiftly dealt with them to minimize to the greatest extent possible the, the things that were distracting them from the word. He boasted their faith. Nehemiah was quite a leader. We can learn lessons from Nehemiah. He had those two-way communications. It's not all about one way. My way or the highway. I'm in charge. It's listening and responding, sometimes intervening. So the physical building now is project of the walls completed, but now what? Was there anything remaining to be done? The walls, 52 days, I guess, completed. Incredible speed, productivity, when all were inside. But now, how were they going to get at this spiritual, restoring the spiritual power? They lived off Nehemiah's auxiliary power for at least 52 days or whatever. That was a temporary arrangement. But people need a spiritual vision of their own and spiritual vitality. Something that's sustainable, renewable, internal, spiritual restoration. There had been some encouraging signs already that their hearts were being turned to the Lord. What a team Ezra and Nehemiah were. Ezra was busy restoring worship. Nehemiah focused on the walls. Get to chapter 4, verse 9. It's the first indication, I think, of the people themselves now trying to pray. Verse 9, it, like it, it seems like they said, My God. The people are starting to pray. Nehemiah prayed. He said, My God. But now the people are saying, He's my God. I'm going to pray to Him. And so there are some encouraging sparks of spiritual desires. But where does it go from here? Ezra, the diligent scribe, he's there, been there for 13, 14 years. Nehemiah's there. But in chapter 8, there's something else happening. The people themselves had asked Ezra to read the Bible to them. So the planks are being sawed, the hammers are being struck. They're building something right at the water gate in Jerusalem. They're having a water gate. No, it's got a bad connotation historically. They're having a water gate Bible conference. People wanted it. And Ezra stood on a newly constructed platform, and, and there are 30,000, 50,000 people there. And he opens a scroll of the Word of God very early in the morning. He read, and he read, and he 
read, the people listen and they listen and they listen until noontime. They're all standing. He read the words and when necessary, translated them, explained them, and then helpful people went through the audience. You do this hundred over here, explain, reinforce the words that Ezra's just read, and then they all dispersed to the crowd, making sure everyone understood the significance. And Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground, Tears ran down their faces as they thought of God's holiness and goodness and faithfulness and patience. This is where it's really happened. You can rebuild the walls of a city. You can make changes and then rebuild other things. But to have the greatest impact of all, it's not the rebuildings of the walls of the city. It's the rebuilding of the walls of the heart. And that's where we first need to get to. The walls of the heart. That's the long term. The walls of the city important, but if this is ever going to be sustainable, this rest, this recovery and restoration and revival, it starts in the heart. And so they're weeping, and God's holiness and His goodness and His faithfulness and His patience is touching their hearts. And then Nehemiah interjects. He says to them, "The day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. The joy." of the Lord is your strength. When the joy of the Lord is in your heart, then you'll have the strength to press forward. Social events are important because we're social beings. There's nothing wrong with fun. Joyful singing is powerful. But all three of these together could never bring about spiritual revival. A revival will only be as, as successful as a of prominence given to the Word of God. That's what it was. He read the Word of God and explained it to the people. It, it had an impact on their heart. And that's where we really need to get to. The spiritual thirst for the Word of God and a repentant heart. Scrape down the sides of the walls of our hearts. Sweep up the chambers of our hearts by the mighty power of the Spirit of God. John Phillips he wrote these words and I'm just about finished. Revival is not thrills and chills and babblings and hopes. Revival is getting right with God, individuals, local churches, and community. Rebuilding heart walls. Ezra spent over a decade laying the groundwork for spiritual restoration and refocusing on worship in the one true God. But the heart walls being rebuilt are absolutely critical. And here at the Midland Park Conference, are you concerned? Am I concerned about the walls of my heart? Chapter 9, they are reading the Word of God for three hours straight, and then for three hours straight, they are seriously confessing their sins and their worshiping. They're wearing burlap on their heads. They smudge their faces with dirt as outward signs of repentance. Rebuilding the city walls, important, but even more crucial to the walls of their hearts. So what kind of a leader would I like to be? 
But I like to be, I like to be like the Lord Jesus. But I'm talking about another Bible character now that's fraught with failures. But God used a broken vessel like Nehemiah, raised him up. And God gave him the wisdom, not only as a leader, but how to work with him to accomplish God's purposes and how to get through to their hearts that there will be revival in their souls. And so I need to ask myself, if I'm a leader in a workplace, wherever God has placed me, these are these are relevant these are relevant principles, assembly life or work life forever. Leadership skills. Here's where it starts. Isaiah 57 says, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabited eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Lord willing, tomorrow in the panel discussion, we're going to talk a little bit about how we go into the demise, how the demise happens, how we grow old. What are the triggers? What are the signals? And then, what are the steps back? How can our hearts be restored? Do you want me to? I'm going to make an announcement. Do you want me to? Oh, now I can.